pastors out of town. We have well-abled ministers. Amen. I will say from experience that it is a drag to have the pastor out of town and see somebody standing up on the platform that you'd rather not hear. Amen. We don't have that here at Lighthouse. Everyone that stands behind this pulpit always ministers, always preaches. Sister Harding, you know. You're giving me a smiling amen. They minister, they're passionate, they're compassionate. Everyone that stands behind this pulpit has ministered to my heart. And I look forward to every man of God and woman of God that stands up here and ministers the word of God. Amen. We know Brother Daniel Buford. We love him. Amen. We're thankful for your ministry, Brother Buford, and your contribution here at Lighthouse. We love you. Come preach to us. Thank you, Brother Perryman. I, I don't deserve his remarks. But I like to hear them anyway. <laughs> they say that those compliments are kind of like perfume. It's okay to smell them, but don't swallow them. So I'll try not to swallow that too deeply. But I do appreciate the ministry of this church. To me personally, I appreciate it. And, and I appreciate, appreciate our assistant pastor. Appreciate the work that he does, the word that he brings to us. We're strengthened because of that. Amen. God bless you. Let's read a passage of scripture while you're standing. I'd like to read from John chapter 20. I'm reading the 26th verse. We'll go back into this story in just a little bit, but let's just read this passage at the first. John chapter 20, verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. And I would like to preach today from a passage of that verse. Then came Jesus. And I'd like to, to try to walk into that story a bit and some other stories. I want to encourage us all today, no matter what your situation is, Jesus can come to it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for bringing us together in the house of God, focused around your name and your kingdom. God, I ask that you can receive glory from us and we can receive strength from you. Blessed we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. It's wonderful to be here with all of you. This is our first service since our Tuesday night Thanksgiving service. And I just want to go on public record to say how much I appreciated all of the testimonies that were given. And I also appreciate all of the ones that were not given. I, knew, I know that we did run out of time. The pastor was aware of time, and he, he closed the service in a timely fashion. But there were others who, who had a testimony in their heart that they would like to share. But to those of you who did share, thank you for being the brave ones that spoke, but also for, for touching me. I learned some things about some of you that I did not know before, uh, and I'm thankful. I was, I was glad to hear the appreciation that you gave was broad-based. Not only did you thank God for what he did, but you thanked this church as a group for what they had done. You thanked individuals for what they had done. And, and I appreciated hearing appreciation and thanksgiving to go in such a broad way. 
mainly centered on God, of course. Um, all of you. Brother Steve's testimony was just a wonderful testimony that, that made me thankful to be a part of the lighthouse and to see what God is doing in the life of Brother Steve. Part of that story, or part of his story, he didn't tell, and that's how he got his Bible. Just ask him sometime. He'll tell you how he ended up getting the Bible. So it's just been a miraculous walk for him. And he told me after the service, he said, I've learned one thing, and that is all you have to do is ask. I love to hear a new convert say that. All you have to do is ask. Because he's our provider, Sister Buford. That's what he is. Amen. It's been a little over 100 years ago now. Back in 1903. Hard to believe that's been 113 years ago. But on December the 17th, back in 1903, anybody know what happened? I know you weren't there then. Uh, most of you weren't there then. Uh, but it was an amazing day because, thank you, sir. On that particular day, there was two brothers by the name of Orville and Wilbur Wright who had gone, they traveled from their hometown, they traveled to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, to try to fly this funny-looking contraption they had built called an airplane. And on that day, they not only made history, but they founded an aviation economy that is so strong in our world today. And that's when, for the first time, Orville got to be at the controls this particular attempt and he flew that airplane, as we would call it today, he flew that airplane for 12 seconds. What an accomplishment. Wouldn't go very far, you know. And you can get a long way on a jet in 30 minutes, but 12 seconds in that plane, I forget how many feet it, he traveled, but they flew, he flew that airplane for 12 seconds. As soon as they hit the ground, Orville headed to the telegraph office and he telegraphed his sister back home and he said, this is his words from the telegram, we have flown for 12 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. This was December 17th. We have flown for 12 seconds and we will be home for Christmas. After the sister received the telegram, she went to the newspaper office and asked to speak to the editor. The editor was there. She spoke with the editor, and she says, I just got a telegram from my brothers, and they tell me that they have flown their airplane for 12 seconds, and they'll be home Christmas if you want to interview them about this. And he said, the editor said, we'll take care of, the, of Orville and Wilbur Wright. We'll take care of the Wright brothers. And two days later, on January the 19th, there was a headline of a little brief column on the sixth page of the newspaper. The headline said, Wright Brothers will be home Christmas. Missed the point. Totally missed the point. The news story was, we flew for 12 seconds, the first time in the history of man. But, but all this editor got from that conversation was, the right boys will be home for Christmas. You know, there's a lot of times in our life we miss the point. 
There's been a lot of people who've gone through the Thanksgiving season and they missed the point. It was, it was Black Friday or it was Black Midnight on Thursday or whenever it happened, you know. <laughs> they keep stretching it out. There was a lot of places that said, we're not going to be open on, on Thanksgiving Day. We're shutting down. Whether they were doing it to drive all the business to Friday or what, I don't know. But I'm appreciative that they were closed on Thanksgiving. Except when my rotisserie didn't work for my turkey. You ever had a turkey ready to go and your rotisserie wouldn't rotisserie? I call their hotline. I say, what do I do? He said, well, do you have your receipt? I said, yes, I have my receipt. He said, if you will take a picture of it, email that to me, then you can mail me that one back and I'll mail you a new one. I said, that's wonderful. Will it get here in 10 minutes? Because I've got a grill, I've got a rotisserie of turkey. He said, oh, no, it, then you can't help me. I said, it's jammed up. It won't turn. I can hear it humming. He said, I can't tell you what to do. What a helpline, a helpless line. I said, if, if, if I get a big screwdriver and I poke it in that hole, and I get another wrench and I clamp it onto that screwdriver and I turn it hard and I jerk whatever's loose in there and it breaks it, will you take it back? He says, uh, I really can't help you. He said, but if you need it right now, I'd try it. I said, I'm going to try it. I put the screwdriver in there and I jerked on it a while. I left it plugged up. Turned around, did something else, and I turned around, and it was just a working great, and it worked great. Hallelujah, we rotisserie the turkey. <laughs> Success. But you know, in spite of people being closed, we still made it through. We still were able to give things. And that was the point of it all, was to give thanks. In the Christmas season, we'll hear a lot more about it, but... I hope and pray that as a group, we don't miss the point. And, and say the right boys are coming home instead of saying they flew for 12 seconds. But the real thing that we don't want to miss about the Thanksgiving and the Christmas season is that God Almighty is in the middle of it all. We couldn't have a Thanksgiving really if it hadn't been for the grace and mercy of God Almighty. We wouldn't be able to have a Christmas and celebrate the birth of, of our King and our Savior if it had not been for the mercies and grace of God Almighty. I'm glad that we as a people don't have to miss the point. Because with the Christmas season, we, we call it the first advent. It's the coming of Christ. And without the promise of a second coming of Christ, you wouldn't call the first one the first. You would just call it the advent of Christ. But we call it the first advent of Christ because we are anticipating the fulfillment of the promise of the second coming of Christ. But this first coming of Christ brought something to us. But when we, in order to really understand the point, the point, I feel like I'm poking that doughboy guy in the stomach when I do that. What's his name? Not Doughboy. 
Pillsbury. Pillsbury to war. In order for us to get the point today, every time I do that, I'm going to think about that now. In order for us to get the point, I'd like to look to the life of Christ just a little bit. And I'm going to start with Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm just going to briefly, briefly tell us a few stories from Scripture to help us to understand what happened and why Jesus came to certain situations. The first one that I want to mention is in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus has been doing ministry. He, he went to the area around Gadara. He delivered a man of, of evil spirits that was possessing him. He was living in the graveyard. And, and Jesus Christ stepped onto the shore, and he delivered that man from all of his possessed demons, delivered him, set him free, and the guy wanted to go with Jesus on his journey, and he said, no, you stay here. Tell your people what a wonderful thing I've done for you. And so the man stayed there. Jesus got on the boat, and he went to the other side, and that's where this passage of Scripture comes into play. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. He barely got on the coast, and he started ministering to people. But he, he came to where they were. Jesus came to this seaside area, and there was a crowd there, and there was, there was two things that happened. One of them we can read later in the, in the chapter, the one happens earlier, but there was a, a ruler, a wealthy man, a man in position, a man of authority, a man who was highly thought of, he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my daughter is, is in bad shape. She's, she's, she's very, very sick. And Jesus understood his dilemma and he heads on his way to minister to that man's daughter. But on the way, there's someone from the other end of the spectrum who needs Jesus. And, and she's a little woman with an issue of blood and you'd have to understand their their laws and their culture in that day, an issue of blood was, was not something that you brought public. It, it, was, it was a very private situation when, when in this case. And, and yet she was in a public setting, but she was still a shamed-filled woman in the whole scheme of things. And she's not the ruler. She's not important. She just doesn't go up to the Savior on the coast and, and tell him her dilemma. But instead, instead, she's crawling on her knees through the crowd, pressing through the people, pressing aside all of the robes that were down around her face. And she pressed through because she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And she pushed through the crowd from a very low vantage point, kind of like she was in society. She pressed through, and finally she got near Jesus, and she touched the hem of his garment. And he realized when she, when she touched him what had happened, and he said, who touched me? His disciples scoffed, said, who touched you? All of this crowd is pushing and shoving, and you ask, who touched me? And Jesus said, yeah, I felt virtue go out of me. And she, she then confessed. It was, it was me that touched you. and I know what's happened in me, she said. I, I know something's happening. And he told her, go thy way. Be whole. Be whole. 
And then Jesus went on with the man and somebody came running and said, oh, oh, master, master, not speaking to Jesus, but speaking to the ruler, your daughter has died. And so the man told Jesus, my daughter is dead. No use to finish the journey. And Jesus said, no, no, let's go. <laughs> let's go. And so Jesus and the man headed on down to the rich man's house, to the ruler's home, the nice place. And when he got to that nice place, all the mourners and the criers and the weepers, they were out wailing because the daughter had died. And Jesus said, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they scoffed him. They scoffed Jesus. They mocked him. In the middle of their mourning, they mocked him. Not, not the ruler, not his wife necessarily, but the mourners. Maybe they were hired mourners, but the mourners did a little mocking of Jesus. And, and Jesus put them aside. I wish I had time just to preach a while on that. Because there's sometimes when you're going to walk with Jesus, you've got to push those mockers aside and go where he leads in a miraculous way. And he got into the house and he, 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 he looked down at the maid and, and by his miraculous strength, he raised her from the dead. Presented her to her mother and dad. And I'd like to have, I would like to have seen his look when he looked at the mourners and the mockers. I wonder if he gave them that I told you so look or if he gave them a pitiful look, you know, I pity you. I don't know what his look was to the mourners, but he said, feed the girl, feed the girl. And then Jesus went on his way. Talking to, to you this morning, no matter where you are in the spectrum of life, some of you may be high and some of you may be low. Some of you may live in a rich home and command a lot of respect. Some of you may just have to hide and push your way through the bottom of the crowd to touch Jesus. But no matter where you are on life spectrum, Jesus will meet you there. Right in the middle of your need. Right in the middle of your sickness. Right in the middle of your bad news that you've just received. Jesus We'll meet you there. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes. In the Christmas season, we talk about his birth. But don't miss the point. He didn't come just to be born in a manger so we could decorate a Christmas tree. He came because he wanted to minister to people like you and like you. No matter where you find yourself, he's still reaching for you. Jesus came. Hallelujah. I'm glad he does. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus is with his disciples. And if you, if you look to Mark chapter 6, I want to... Jesus had sent his disciples out. They'd gone out preaching. He sent them off in groups and... And they went preaching, they came back, they were thrilled, but they had been ministering. They come back, they're weary, uh, struggling, and then they find out some other things. They find out that John the Baptist has been taken. This was a friend of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus, one who baptized Jesus. And thanks to a wicked woman and her daughter, John the Baptist was beheaded. The Bible says that Herod took the head, put it on a charger, on a, on a large plate, 
and gave it to the damsel, the daughter, and the daughter carried it to her conniving mother. When the disciples heard about the death of John the Baptist, they went and took the body of Jesus, excuse me, the body of John the Baptist, and they took it and gave it a decent burial. All they had was the body, no head. The wicked woman got the head. The disciples got the body and they gave it a decent burial. And can you imagine their emotional feelings right then? They've just buried the one who baptized their master. That's how highly honored that man was. Some of them may have been baptized by that same man. And now they've just buried his headless corpse. And Jesus comes to them and he says, come away for a while. You need to rest. You need to rest. Sometimes we've gone through some tough times. But if you'll lean on Jesus, he'll just say, come away with me. Let's rest a bit. Let's, let's just rest a bit. So verse 34 If you, if you read ahead of verse 34, they rested. They went to a private place to rest. But all the people raced around and got to that private place before Jesus and him got there. And when Jesus gets there with his disciples for a time of rest, all of those people are there. And what does Jesus do? This is verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were his sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Never forget, when you've gone through all of that stuff, when you've buried your John the Baptist with all of the tragedy that occurred and you're, you're exhausted emotionally, physically, you're, you're in... You're in over your head at that point. And Jesus tells you, come away with me and let's rest. Never forget, there's a lot of other people out there who are hurting also. There's a lot of other people that they want some time with Jesus too. And Jesus, when he met them on the other side and there was his disciples that needed rest, he looked at all of them and he, you're, you're like sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible says, and he taught them many things. And sometimes in our life when we're struggling, when we're burying our John the Baptist and going through our trials, we need to say, God, I want to come away and let you teach me many things. And in the midst of those dark times, the only reason he, or one of the reasons he teaches is because he realizes you're in a position to learn. When, when, when nothing is happening, bad in your life, sometimes you're not in a position to learn. But with all of the trouble and struggle that they had, Jesus knew they were in a position to learn, and he taught them many things. No matter where you find yourself today, I just want to tell you, Jesus will come. Jesus will come. I'd like to read from Mark chapter 6, verse 48, still in the same chapter, but a few verses over. John 6, verse 48. 
Jesus had had done some wonderful things. He had fed the 5,000. The disciples had seen great things happen. They, they took up 12 baskets of leftovers after feeding all of those people. Jesus sent the people away. He sent his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll meet you on the other side. So his disciples took off on the boat, going to the other side. And in the middle of the night, at some point, the Bible says that the waves were contrary. Storm came and the disciples were fearful on the boat for their life. But then this is the verse that says, Mark 6, 48, And when he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed him by. Now they were fearful. They thought he was a ghost. Oh, who are you? And he said, this is me. Don't be afraid. But I want to let you know, no matter what kind of miracles you've seen, and we've all seen some miracles of God, no matter what you've seen, there still comes a time when you're in a storm. And the miracle of, of this afternoon won't help you much tonight when you're in the storm. It doesn't matter how full and how many loaves and fishes you took up leftovers. The miracle of the afternoon won't help you much during the storm at the night. What you really need is a visitation from Jesus. And that's what he does. He comes walking on your storm. And I don't know what your storm is. Some of you have had some storms this year. Sister Buford, you mentioned them or mentioned the fact of them. Some of you have come through some storms. And I don't say this to, to drag up or dredge up memories, but some of you had Thanksgiving tables with empty chairs, some empty spots. Some of you had memories that raced through your mind of someone who wasn't there. But I want to let you know that Jesus will be there. He will come into your storm. He will come into your troubled time walking on the waters to bring you peace and comfort and to carry you to the other side, which is exactly what Jesus did. I take you to Luke chapter 18. Jesus is walking along. Let me turn to that scripture so I can read to you a little bit of a context. Luke chapter 18, the verse I'm aiming for is verse 35. But to kind of put it in setting a little bit, Jesus and his entourage are traveling. When you read about Jesus, he was usually going somewhere to do something for somebody. He wasn't just idly sitting. But so often he was going somewhere to do something for somebody. And today I want you to know you're that somebody. And Jesus is going somewhere to do something for you. And in this case, there was, there was someone on the side of the road. And when this man on the side of the road is, 
as, he came, as Jesus came nigh to Jericho, there was a certain blind man that sat by the wayside begging. And this is the verse, verse 35. And, and hearing the multitude pass by, the blind man asked, What does that mean? What's that noise? And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Jesus is, is coming by where you're begging. Jesus is passing by. And, and he cried out saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the people all around him said, hey, hush, hush, hush. You're going to disturb Jesus. Well, that's what he wanted to do was disturb Jesus. They said, hush, hush, hush. Don't make so much racket. That's why I want to make racket. I want Jesus to hear me. This was a blind man who was screaming out for help. And Jesus came his way. And he invited the man, blind man, to come his way. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. And, but he cried so much more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he come near, he asked him, saying, What will thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Gave praise unto God. Just in that little scenario, Jesus was going somewhere to do something for somebody. And when that somebody received his healing, he followed Jesus and glorified God. He didn't just say, well, I'm, I can see. Well, that's nice. No, he followed Jesus and glorified God. And those that saw it did the same. I think it's wonderful when we do what we need to do in Thanksgiving afterwards. We get the point. We get the point. Jesus is passing for a purpose, for a reason. And then John chapter 20. I would like to look at one more story before my final story. Don't you love it when I say it that way? Look at one more story before my final story. Luke chapter 20. Excuse me, John chapter 20. I'm really aiming for verse 26. Jesus has finished his ministry on earth. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers came and took him. Peter cut off one of their ears. Jesus put it back on. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? I have a warped sense of humor. What if he had got it on upside down? You know, in the dark. It's dark. You know, they just, they just had torch lights, you know. <laughs> y'all don't think that way. Oh, what's wrong with y'all? He told Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter said, oh, I'll never do it. Peter did deny him three times. Rooster crowed. Jesus had a trial. They found him guilty with the crooked trial, took him to a cross, crucified him, he died. They put him in a tomb. They sealed the tomb. The glorious thing is, he resurrected out of that tomb. Hallelujah. Peter ran into an empty tomb and saw the stuff there and 
So he ran telling the good news. And then there was a lady there that saw it. Huh? She saw a man there, thought it was a gardener. She asked the gardener, where did, or what she thought was a gardener, where did you take my Jesus? She didn't realize he was a gardener. Finally, Jesus turned to her and spoke and called her by name Mary. And then Rabboni. She realized who he was. And he said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. So somehow she tells them. And then this passage happens that I'm, that I'm reading to you. This is John chapter 20, verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. They were, they were in that room. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. In the middle of their fear, if you'll read a few verses above, the reason they went into this room and shut the door was because they were fearful of the Roman soldiers. They knew what had happened to Jesus. They knew his crucifixion. And they knew that if they claimed or were thought to have been a part of Jesus' group, that same punishment was going to come their way. So they, they go into a private room and they shut the door and lock the door where they're secure and safe, but they're still fearful. And Jesus came in. Right in the middle of their fear, right in the middle of their despair that the one they love, their master, their savior, the miracle worker is dead and, and they didn't know fully his resurrection at that point and, and he came into the pall of that situation. How did he get in? He's God. How did he walk on the water? He's God. How did he multiply the, the fish and the loaves? He's God. How did he touch that woman's issue of blood? He's God. How did he raise that, that daughter to life? He's God. And how did he come through these walls and through these closed doors? He's God. And you want to know how can he come into your situation? It's because he's God. Whatever you're going through, he's God. Don't miss the point. He's not just a baby born in a manger. He's not just one that we, we put a little scene up here that has, or a big scene, whatever, a, a little manger and, and a star stuck somewhere. It's more than just tinsel and decoration. He is God. And you want to know how He will minister to you in your dilemma? It's because He's God. Don't miss the point, folks. Don't be so interested in, the, in the, the right boys coming home for Christmas that you forget that they flew the plane for 12 seconds. Don't think that, that this is just a time for getting and giving gifts, but instead, don't miss the real point. We're leaving Thanksgiving and we're going into Christmas, but we don't want to miss the point. We are thankful for the coming of Jesus into our dilemmas, into our situations. And I'm glad that today, that's the kind of God He is. That's the kind of Savior we serve. That's the kind of master we have. But if you'll turn a couple of chapters to the book of Acts chapter 2, I would like to tell you of another coming of Jesus Christ. He did not come in the flesh because his flesh had died. He had risen. But he said, if I go away, I shall come again. And he came again. On the day of Pentecost, his spirit came, and I want to read it to you as, as the book of Acts presents it. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a place where 120 people have gathered in the upper room. They may have started with more, but some left. But the 120 were the faithful followers of Jesus Christ, men, women. It was not just the 12 disciples. It was, it was 120 people. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. But in the middle of their worship, in the middle of their one accord, in the middle of their unity, God's Spirit came into there. And the Holy Ghost was poured out upon each one of them. Jesus coming into the midst of dilemmas did not stop with his death. But it continues even now. And just as the power of the Holy Ghost falls in the lighthouse from time to time, maybe not every service, we don't see a fall from heaven. But I want to tell you, this is a church that is blessed of God with frequent visitations of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever doubt it. If you're not tuned in, you can miss it. If you're living on a different plane than God, you can miss it. If you're living in a carnal vein, you can miss it. But if you'll put those Holy Ghost feelers out a bit, if you'll say, God, I need you. I'm facing some dilemmas, God. Stormy. I'm like a sheep without a shepherd. I need you. I want you to know, you start reaching, and all of a sudden, what happened on the day of Pentecost will be refreshed in you. And all of a sudden, you feel that power of God coursing through you. And you, you want to just stand up and scream, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You want to stand up and declare victoriously, I know my Redeemer liveth. I want to stand up and scream, there is no weapon that's been formed against me that's going to prosper. Why? Because I feel that moving of the Holy Ghost. In some of the testimonies on Tuesday night, we had a, a, a meal of food. I know Brother Harvey was disappointed we didn't have turkey and dressing and ham and he wanted the whole works. I don't blame you. But we had a meal set up here. We don't usually do that in church. We had chairs all around. It, it, it had the trappings of being a, a time of fellowship where we missed the point. It had all the trappings of missing the point. Until somebody started giving God glory. And when we started developing for Him a dwelling place of praise and a dwelling place of worship that we built with our hands. All of a sudden, he inhabited that. I saw people wiping tears. Some of the testimonies going. And Sister Amber, do I have the, I think I have the right name. Yes. I want to make sure I had the right name. You gave your testimony, and you coupled it with a prayer request for your husband. 
And then Brother Sorrell stood up, and I believe with a prophetic statement, said it won't be long. For me, he said, I held out for three years. Shame on you. Made all those people pray for three years. If you would have just submitted sooner, they wouldn't have had to pray so long and hard. Rough three years for you too, I'm sure. But all of a sudden, when he spoke to you, Sister Amber, I felt, I felt God. I felt God. And I'm not just singling these testimonies out. Every testimony. I, I, felt, I felt like we weren't missing the point. And right now, someone is not missing the point. Right now, someone is getting the point. I want you to latch on to it. I want you to hold on to it. Oh, Lord, like the feeble lady with the issue of blood, let your boat touch my shore, touch my experiences, touch my sickness. Let your foot step onto the sandy shore of my disappointment and my despair. Jesus, like the ruler whose daughter was dead, come into my house of mourning and death and breathe life anew into me. Breathe life afresh and bring hope and joy and bring a vibrant hope of your resurrection. Lord, like the disciples on that little boat on the raging sea, come into my storm-tossed life. Calm my storms, lest the ship of my life be destroyed, God. And Lord, like Bartimaeus, into the darkness of my existence, bring light into my being, bring sight. Lord, like Thomas, I pray, come into the room of my doubt and my disbelief. Bring peace into my troubled life. And Lord, like the disciples on the day of Pentecost, pour out your Spirit today upon us as we sit here in one mind and one accord, worshiping you, believing you. God, I pray you'd pour out your Spirit afresh. And let me see most of all, God, you. You on your throne, God, and you in all of your glory, let me see you. God, bring your miracles into my desperate life. Touch me, oh God. Touch me, oh God. Touch me, oh God. I don't want to miss the point. When Jesus comes by, I want to be receptive to him. It's not enough that I have need. I have to make a request. I know that Jesus can meet my need with me never requesting him to do it. But most of the time, he waits for a request. And as we stand today... I want to give someone an opportunity to make a request.
Normally we think of an altar service time as a time of invitation. When the minister gives an invitation for someone to come to the front. But rather than that today, I would like for you to give the invitation. For you to make the request. And you to make the request to God Almighty. God, I need you to come into my dilemma. God, I need you to come into my situation. God, I need you to come into the hurt of my life. I need you to come into my despair. God, I want to thank you by your word today. You've shown us illustration after illustration after illustration where you came into people's dilemmas and brought answers. God, I pray that you'd minister today in Jesus' name. I open the altars for you to come and make your request known. I'm not inviting you to come per se, but I'm just opening an altar for you to come and make your request, make your invitation to God to enter into your life, enter into your dilemmas. Hallelujah. Jesus.